Go ahead and grab your Bibles, like I said, open to the book of Mark. We're going to continue our series in the book of Mark, uh, this series that Pastor Chris started, Jesus is King, and we are in Mark chapter 11. Uh, I'm just going to read a couple of verses. I had intended to go from verses 12 through 19, but as I got into this, I saw so much just in the first couple of verses here that I'm just going to preach on Mark 11. 12 through 14. Mark eleven twelve 12 says this. On the following day, when they came from Bethany, where were they and what were they doing in Bethany? You remember? Well, Jesus had just been uh, praised as the new king. They had shouted, Hosanna in the highest. Lord, save us. He, it was, it's called the triumphal entry. We called it the humble entry. Jesus was a humble revolutionary, a non-anxious king. He rides in on a horse, or actually on the back of a donkey, and he looks around the temple, and it's kind of, kind of anticlimactic. He looks around, nothing's going on. He just goes back to be with, presumably, Mary and Martha and Lazarus, the resurre- resurrected Lazarus. And now he's coming back. So he comes back from Bethany. He's headed back to Jerusalem. And look what it says. It says, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in a leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Would you bow with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for preserving these words. Thank you that um, your word is living, it's powerful, it's fruitful. Your word does not return unto you empty. It does not return unto you void. But it accomplishes what it is set out to accomplish. Lord Jesus, you spoke these words 2,000 years ago. John Mark, Peter's friend, decided to capture these words and include them in his gospel. Lord, they are presumably controversial for some people, but Lord, we see them as life-giving. We see them as, as, as sustenance to our soul, as the bread of life. Illuminate these words through the limitations of my words. Illuminate our understanding through the limitation of my own understanding. Quicken to the spirits of the people here in this room and the people watching online. Turn this ordinary Sunday morning into an extraordinary encounter with you. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a little kid, my mom said something frightening to me. She said, hey, uh, Stephen, just so you know, I was praying the other day, and God told me, you will never get away with anything. I was only about four years old, and uh, those words stuck with me. Uh, e- even to this day, those words haunt me. Um, we lived in a little uh, uh, graduate housing place when I was just a toddler and into four or five years old in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, just outside of Oral Roberts University. My dad had gone to grad school there. And uh, my granddad had given me a big wheel, 
a tricycle and a bicycle with training wheels. And I wanted to use every single one of those all day, every day. And the rule was you can only go to the edge of the apartment building. And so I would start on one end, my bicycle with training wheels, I'd ride it as fast as I could, come to a skidding halt, park it, run back, get my tricycle, do the same thing, get my big wheel and do the same thing. And that lasted all, that was fun for all of about five minutes. And um, then I got curious as to what was over there, what's past this boundary? What is that thing? What's, well, I wonder what's around the corner. So I got my bicycle and I went as fast as I could and I went past the boundary somehow thinking if I went past, fast past the boundary, nothing would happen. And sure enough, um, as soon as I passed that boundary, a bee left its perch wherever it was and stung me right in the neck. I swole up, I ran in screaming, and I said, Mom, why did you do this to me? She said, Stephen, I told you, you will not get away with anything. I can imagine this fig tree kind of felt that way when Jesus approached it. Do fig trees have feelings? I don't know. Uh, there was a, a famous, uh, maybe not world famous, but a famous Ikea commercial by Spike Jones uh, in the early 2000s. Spike Jones is a famous director, kind of an alternative director. And his theme was to take this, his, his task was to take this lamp to try to sell you this new Ikea lamp. And so there's this apartment, uh, presumably in uh, New York City, and the person takes their old Ikea lamp and puts it out by the rubbish. And the whole thing, the whole commercial is based on this lamp. And you see this, this lamp looking back up at the new Ikea lamp in the window. And you see this relationship that the, that the, that the owner has with the new lamp sitting reading their, reading their book. And you, you start to feel sorry for this lamp as the, as the music swells. And then this Swedish guy comes walking up. It's raining on the, on the old lamp by the rubbish, and you're looking up, it's dark, and the Swedish guy comes up and he says, many of you feel sorry for this lamp. That is because you're crazy. It has no feelings, and besides, the new one is much better. Many people read this story of the fig tree, and you feel sorry for the fig tree, but I see something different. Yes, Jesus curses the fig tree, but I see something about the character of our king. Mark could have included any story here. Think about how precious, how expensive it was to write in those days. Mark, in writing his gospel, could have included any story, anything Jesus said, anything Jesus did, and for some reason, he chooses to include this crazy little story about Jesus being hungry, seeing a fig tree, walking across the field or wherever he was and walking up to the fig tree and it not being fruitful. And Jesus does this living parable. That's what it is. It's a, it's a prophetic living parable. During the first century, it, the custom was to get up early and to go straight to work. Jesus got up early often. Uh, and so you'd get up without breakfast. 
And so, so to take the edge off your hunger, sometimes you might grab a piece of bread or, or in this case, see a, a piece of wild food growing. Or those who had orchards, according to Levitical law, were supposed to leave some of their food, some of their crop for people who were just walking by. You weren't supposed to harvest all of it. You were supposed to leave some for the landless. This could have been the case in this case. But in this little story, these, these brief verses, I see three things. I see three things that can help us as we think about 2022, as we think about what God wants for us in 2022, as we think about what kind of king Jesus is. I want to, I want to talk about just three ideas, three little movements in these couple of verses. A.W. Tozer says, what comes to mind when you think of God is the most important thing about you. What comes to mind when you think about Jesus, the king? What comes to mind when you think about the kind of king Jesus is? Mark decides to include this wild story of this signpost, this prophetic symbol of Jesus, and I see three things. Number one, I see Jesus wants something. Jesus wants something. Verse 12 says that Jesus was hungry. Now, this is not the, not the first time in the gospel narratives where we see that Jesus was hungry. The first time we saw it was in Matthew um, when Jesus had been fasting 40 days and nights, and Matthew decides to state the obvious, Jesus was hungry. But Mark says something about Jesus on this day. Jesus was hungry. I don't know if you know this or not. Maybe you know it. Food is spiritual. There's something spiritual about food. Food is good. In fact, Psalm 103 says that he fills our mouths with good things. During the temptation, Jesus was tempted to turn stones into bread. And the temptation was not to do something bad, but to do something good in the wrong way. Hunger comes from God. Hunger itself is a signpost that you are incomplete. You need your daily bread. That's why Jesus said, pray, give us this day our daily bread. Hunger is a signpost that we are not independent. We are not autonomous. We are dependent beings. We are created with need. We are created with hunger and thirst. We are told to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Have you ever asked yourself, what is God hungry for? Did Jesus, was Jesus really hungry? Now, what comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. If that's true, then when we look at Jesus, we learn something about God. Now, let me ask you something. Does God need anything? Of course not. God doesn't need anything. God is fully sufficient. From all eternity past, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit live in fullness of love and fullness of joy. God does not need anything. So why is Jesus hungry? Why does Jesus need something? Jesus presumably needs something. He presumably wants something. He has a desire. 
Why does Jesus need something? Well, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus, though being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. In other words, he emptied himself. Now, when I was at Church on the Move in Tulsa, I'd been around for a long time, for about 25 years, and I had a, I just turned it in. I just turned it in on Thursday, begrudgingly. I had a master key. I could go in any room on that campus. One million square feet of building at Church on the Move. One million square feet of building. I could go in any room anytime I wanted. In fact, there's a little key fob, boop. I could go into any room. My daughter had a similar key, little key fob. Because she was my daughter, she could go in certain rooms. Jesus had access to all of the Godhead, all the power, all the knowledge, all the strength, but he chose to keep that key fob in his pocket, so to speak. He only used the key fob of a human filled with the Holy Spirit, fully alive in the Spirit. Jesus exemplified what it meant to be an image bearer. Now, Genesis chapter 1, I didn't give the team the, this, these verses, but most of you know these. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and 28 says, God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the heavens, uh, birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and he gave them an assignment. How did we do with the assignment? Our assignment was to bear God's image in all creation, to, to, to be judges, so to speak, to, to step into areas uh, and uh, represent the image of God over creation. What did God do? Well, God created order from chaos. God was fruitful. He created us to be fruitful. Jesus steps in, and he is that perfect image, image bearer. First Corinthians tells us, or Second Corinthians tells us, Jesus is uh, that image, the perfect image, and that we are destined to become like him. That's our conviction, is that we are destined to become more like Jesus. So what was Jesus hungry for? What did Jesus want. Well, Jesus gave us a clue in his prayer in John 17. He said, I don't ask these for these only, but for those who will believe in me through your word, that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you loved me. And here it is. Father, here's what I'm hungry for. Here's what I want. Here's what I desire. You want to know what Jesus desires? Here's what it is. I desire that they also whom you've given me may be with 
me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. What does God want? God created you and I to be his blessable, image-bearing covenant partners through whom he creates more blessable, image-bearing covenant partners. That's not just procreation. That's communities of justice, beauty, righteousness, peace, shalom, goodness, kindness, generosity, hospitality. And in those communities, God himself shows up, and we find this union that Jesus is talking about. What Jesus desires is fruitfulness, and that fruitfulness looks like this. It looks like a community of people gathered in the name of Jesus, under the authority of Jesus, in the goodness of Jesus, in communion with Jesus, so that we declare that Jesus is Lord. We declare the glory of Jesus simply by our gathering. Ephesians 3.10 says that when we gather online, in person, at your home group, when we gather over coffee with another brother and sister in Christ, when we gather over Scripture, when we pray for one another, when we gather, not only do we proclaim the glory of God to one another, but when I look in Monty's eyes, when I go to coffee with Monty, when I look in Christian's eyes, when I, when I am at his home group, which I did last week, when I look at your eyes here in this service, I declare that Jesus is Lord, not just in Santa Barbara. Ephesians 3.10 says, not just over the, over the internet, not just at realitysb.com, not just on YouTube. Re Ephesians 3.10 says that when we gather, we declare to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places that Jesus is Lord. And in that declaration, there is Intimacy with God. Intimacy with the Father. That's why when Peter, James, and John got to see Jesus transfigured, Peter was like, hey, let's, let's build a tent right here. There's nothing better in this life than that. But this is just a foretaste. Even this is just a signpost of what is to come. So Jesus is hungry. Jesus wants something. And he, what does he do? He doesn't say, bring a fig to me. What does Jesus do? Jesus comes close. If you're feeling distant from God, do you know Jesus wants the same thing you want? The, the desire underneath the desire, the desire that, that we try to um, salve, or we try to medicate, or we try to distract ourselves with, or entertain, or eat. Jesus says, I'm the one underneath that desire. The thing you really want is me. And one of the ways that we have that is through gathering with each other. It's the second thing we see, the first thing is that Jesus wants something. The second thing is Jesus sees everything. <laughs> Now, uh, I've got a buddy, lifelong buddy, who um, has had an on-again, off-again relationship with Jesus. Um, you know, my, my pastor used to say 
never trust a man who doesn't cuss a little. Well, this guy cusses a lot, and uh, he's, he's my buddy. I can, I can just, you know, be myself around him. I, I think everybody should have a friend like this. And when he heard about me getting this job, he knew about Church on the Move. He, knew, he knows at Church on the Move we say the same benediction every time. And he was just uh, joking with me and saying, Stephen, you need to have your own benediction at your new church. Your new church, you need to have a new benediction. He doesn't know anything about benedictions. He just knows I should have one. So, so I was like, oh, yeah, what's, what should my benediction be? He's like, I don't know. Uh, you know, all right, guys, go ahead and everybody have a great week. And don't forget, here's looking at you, kid. Or <clears throat> everybody go have a great week. And, uh, and, and don't forget to have your pets spayed and neutered. <clears throat> or he's like, hey, uh, everybody go ahead and have a great week. And this was my favorite. And just remember, God is always watching you. That's, that's, that's kind of what it, he thinks church is. It's like God is always watching you. But Jesus, see, he really does see everything. When he comes over to this fig tree, he sees something. Proverbs 5, 21 says, For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders his paths. Proverbs 15, 3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch over the evil and the good. Hebrews chapter 4 uh, says, No creature, even fig trees, if a fig tree is a creature, no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are, have sinned against God. They've taken from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they're afraid of this fact. They're afraid that God sees everything, and they're afraid that he's moving into that space with a kind of judgment that is not the kind of judgment of God. It's not the character of God. Genesis chapter 3 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what did they do? They hid. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called the man. And what did God say? I know exactly where you are. I know exactly what you've been doing. What are you, what's wrong with you? Is that what God says? No. What does he do? He invites confession. He loves. He's a good dad. He says, where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And what does God say? Who told you you were naked? What comes to mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What do you think of God when God sees you? Do you know that he does? Do you know that he sees you? Everything about you. The goal of the Garden of Eden, one of the goals, was for us to be naked and unashamed. What happens when Adam and Eve eat the fruit? They realize they're naked and they are fully ashamed. Who told you 
you were naked. When I was a little kid, somewhere along the line, I believed this lie, and that is that I was a fraud. I thought if people really knew me, they wouldn't like me. As a little bitty kid, I, I believed this lie. I think everybody has a little lie that you have a proclivity to believe as a little kid, and it goes with you through your life. I believed that I was a fraud. It's because my granddad was a fraud. My granddad spent 35 years in Georgia State Penitentiary. I thought I was a little bit like him. I thought if anybody really knew that I was like him and not like my other granddad, that the jig is up, that it's over, that I'd be exposed, I would be ashamed. We moved around quite a bit. I never lived in one place more than about three years, and so I thought, okay, that's, you know, it's one way of hiding. I don't have to get close to people because, you know, I'm just going to move anyway. So I moved to this new place, Albany, Georgia, uh, new school, Lee County Middle School, and my worst nightmare happened. The teacher said, at the end of this week on Friday, you're going to have to put together a presentation, a public, your public speech, show and tell all about me. So you just want to talk to all the students. You just want me to talk to all the students and tell them about me. That's, that's what I'm supposed to do. So I forgot about it. Classic ENFP, Enneagram 7. Forgot all about it until the morning of. My mom said, hey, didn't you have that presentation? I was like, oh, yeah, that thing. So I went and grabbed a grocery bag, and I was like, okay, all about me. <sighs> Air Jordans, boom. Basketball, boom. And I jotted down some stuff. And so I go, okay, I got this, I got this, I got this. I was like, man, I don't think that's enough. So I went back in my room, and I saw this little coin purse that, in fact, my criminal grandfather had given me, and inside were all these different coins. I was like, okay, I'll tell people I got a little coin collection or something. I don't know. So I threw it in the bag, got to seventh grade, uh, the, the English class, all about me, speech time. Hey, basketball. My dad played college basketball at the University of South Carolina. I'm going to be a college basketball player someday. Great. Yay. Air Jordans, man. Michael Jordan is the best. Michael, now this is in Georgia, and everybody thought, everybody liked Dominique Wilkins, not me. I wasn't a Dominique guy. I was, I was a Michael Jordan guy. Everybody knows Michael Jordan's the best, right, Monty? Michael Jordan. And so Monty's from Chicago, and you don't have to be from Chicago. Michael Jordan is the best. So I wrote a little, or jotted down some stuff, picked up from uh, something I'd heard, and I, and I went like this. Basketball is my favorite sport. I like the way they dribble up and down the court. Oh, shoot. <laughs> what is it? Basketball is my favorite sport. I love the way they dribble up and down the court. What's the next part? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Christopher knows it. Uh, Michael Jordan is the best. He's the head of all the rest. Dominique Wilkins is a punk. He ain't got no high-flying, death-defying, 360 slam dunk. I got an applause. I should have sat down. I should have sat down right there. I didn't. I went back in the bag, reached out, and grabbed that little coin purse. 
<laughs> because, you know, what's cooler than a coin collection to seventh graders? I don't know. So I, I'm just like, okay, so this one is from uh, Canada. This is an 1876 quarter. And this one right here is from India. And she's like, wait, 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 what was that last one from? And, and please forgive me, seventh grade is a guy with, with his face on it. And, and uh, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what that coin was. I just gave it to her, gave it to the teacher, made something up. And she said, well, what, what did you say this was? I was like, I think, I don't, um, I don't know where this one is from. She's like, Stephen, this is an Aladdin's Castle arcade token. The whole class erupted in laughter, and I felt shame. The word fraud written across my heart. Don't ever let anybody know. You, you went too far. You let people know that you're not really who you say you are. What does Jesus see when you're close, when, you, when he comes close? What do you think he's going to see? What do you think he's going to see? How is Jesus approaching you? When he comes close, when Jesus comes close to this fig tree, the fig tree is it, it's showing leaves as if it's going to have fruit. But when Jesus comes close, he sees it's nothing but leaves. Henry Nouwen says, success, popularity, and power can indeed present a great temptation, but their seductive quality often comes from the way they are part of a much larger temptation of self-rejection. We've come to believe the voices that call us worthless and unlovable. Success, popularity, and power are easily perceived as attractive solutions to our desolate condition. We accept the fact, we, we accept it as fact that we deserve to be pushed aside and rejected. We see ourselves that way. Self-rejection is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life because it contradicts the sacred voice that calls us beloved. Being called the beloved constitutes the core truth of our existence. One of the best things you can do in 2022 is get with someone that you can be naked and unashamed with. Not literally. Don't do that. Maybe your spouse for sure do that. Each of us have four dimensions of our relationships. The arena is the first one. That's what I know and you know about me. Everybody knows. It's your public profile. The second one is your mask. You have something right now that you know about yourself that nobody knows, and you don't want them to know. The third, the third area is your blind spot. That's the dangerous one because you can't see it is something that you do that's leading you to destruction that you can't even see. And the fourth area is your potential. You will never reach your full potential unless you have someone in your life that you can take the mask off with. Not just leaves, not just covering with leaves, being honest and vulnerable. And once you do that, you know what happens? You give them permission to have your back. 
to speak the truth to you in love, to show you your blind spots. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. It hurts, man. I don't want to know about that stuff, but I need to know. And then you will step into your full potential. Jesus moves in, and he sees. Confess your sins, and he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's First John. But James, the brother of Jesus, says, confess your sins to one another and be healed. There's something God wants to do in you that cannot happen without relationship. In 2022, allow yourself to be seen, not just before God, but before a brother or sister in Christ. Ephesians 5 says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It's shameful to even mention what the disobedient do in secret, but everything, everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes light. There's this movement that happens when you allow yourself to be seen. Number one, when you bring things out into the light, they are seen. It hurts. But something happens where God transforms that thing and it becomes light. The last thing is this. Number one, Jesus wants something. Number two, Jesus sees everything. And the third thing we see in this little passage is Jesus is coming to judge you. That's not the most encouraging word to start 2022. Uh, in fact, I did not want to preach that point. Jesus is coming to judge not just them. We want him to judge them. We want him to judge those people out there. We want him to judge injustice, and he will. We're going to talk about that next week. But this may be the most offensive thing I could say in a post-Christian city like Santa Barbara. From what I can tell, people in Santa Barbara like Jesus. We like the spiritualist, the philosopher Jesus. If he had a TikTok account, we'd follow it for his helpful tips about how to be an unanxious person. We'd repost his funny memes. We'd laugh at comments of religious people getting upset with him. We like that kind of Jesus, an arm's distance Jesus. Jesus we could admire from afar, but a Jesus who is a king, a Jesus who ex expects something from me, wants something from me, a Jesus who sees everything, and a Jesus who will judge. We don't want a judge Jesus, but if Jesus really is king, if he really is Lord, that means he really is coming as a judge. But no one can judge me. That's the, that's the, the only virtue we have left in the modern West. No one can judge us. Disney, Disney tells us so. You be you. Don't let anybody tell you who you should be. We love disruptors and people who, and companies who disrupt the status quo and break all the rules and create new ways of doing things. We love Airbnb and Verbo and, and how they disrupted the hotel industry. 
Some say that, that, that the iPhone is the biggest, most disruptive technology in all of history. But what do all of those things have in common? They tell you, you that you're in charge. They tell you you can curate life and have all of your desires without consequence. You can choose what relationships you have. You can choose what car you drive. You can choose the way people see you. You can choose uh, the, the way you dress. You can choose what you eat. You can, cho- you can help choose what other people eat. Instagram tells me I can decide what's beautiful and what's not. Twitter tells me I can tell, I can decide what what philosophies are good and what aren't. I can decide who's canceled and who's demonized. I get to be the judge of everything, but every bit of it is just leaves. Jesus is coming to judge. Jesus is coming to judge. Revelation tells us that he's coming to judge and that no one is free from his sight. It says some of us, he'll separate into two groups. Some will say, Lord, we called you. We, We did things in your name. And he's like, it's just leaves. What is Jesus after? intimacy with you. The good news about Jesus coming to judge is that everything Jesus asks you to do, he equips you to do. There's nothing that Jesus asks you to or invites you to do that he doesn't empower you to do. It says that the fruit tree was out of season But the way that the Greek works, it's almost like Jesus is having a conversation with this tree. It's almost like the tree says to Jesus, it's not even the season for figs. And Jesus says, you will no longer produce fruit ever again. The the Greek is the most absolute judgment. Now, the the fig tree certainly is symbolic of the temple, which we'll get to next week. The temple was just the place where people came to be intimate with God, to have their sins forgiven. When we stand before Jesus, Jesus will come to judge. But when he does, there'll be what's called the two-question test. Many scholars have talked about this idea that there's two questions. One, what did you do with Jesus? Did you really call him Lord? And if so, the judgment of Jesus is good news. Because the judgment of Jesus means that you're in Christ. When that judgment day happens, we don't have to be afraid. On the day when we most should be afraid, my friend Christian said, we won't be. Because we are in him. The second thing, the second question is, what did you do with what I put in your hand? What did you do with my son Jesus, and what did you do with what I put in your hand? There are things, there are dreams that God's put in your heart, but there are things right now that God's put in your hand. A spouse, a marriage, kids, a vocation, a family of origin, 
What did you do with what I put in your hand? Friendships, what did you do with what I put in your hand? On that day, Jesus just wants to find you faithful, producing fruit. And on that day, he'll wipe away every tear from your eyes. And he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. Lord Jesus, thank you that when you come and examine us, you don't see fraud. You see someone who is beloved. When you come and see us, you don't just see our sin. You have a pathway on offer for us to be forgiven of our sin. When you come and you examine our works, you don't just see the gap between what is and what should be. You see power on offer from your Holy Spirit to be fruitful if we would just surrender to you. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the plans represented in this room, and I just pray that over these next few weeks that we will step into the plan you have for us in 2022, the plan to be fruitful, Thank you that your grace abounds toward us so we might always have all sufficiency and all things may have an abundance toward every good work. In Jesus' name, amen.